0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There is a wide wide range of emotions, globally, wide range of emotions. And uh, we're interested in the emotions in this country, and we're going to get into that in this hour. Now, as far as uh, what's going on in Europe is concerned, and we'll be touching base later on with Eric Randolph from Agence France-Presse. He'll be joining us from Paris, a reporter in Paris. And uh, Abdelrahim Foukara will be with us as well in the next hour, the Washington bureau chief of Al Jazeera. But as far as uh, Brussels is concerned, they're going to be under lockdown from what we've been hearing until Monday anyway. So clearly there's a huge concern in the, in the Belgian capital. Yesterday... I played back uh, the interview with Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall and we talked to Mr. Wall about his concerns about the rapidity with which 25,000 Syrian refugees are being brought into this country by the end of the year says the Prime Minister. And it's a concern that's shared by a majority of Canadians if you go along with the polling, 54% telling Angus Reid that they have concerns and would like the uh, Prime Ministers to slow down. I think as well it's a Big number, very short period of time, and I'm not comfortable with the the suggestion that security is going to be handled the way it should be. I have a feeling, have a concern, that security could very well be compromised, given the speed with which this is being done. There are a lot of opinions, a lot of emotions being expressed and being heard. We had one caller tell us yesterday that she's scared. Literally, she said, I'm scared. And I heard that level of fear in other people's voices. And we also had, I have to be honest with you, we had people calling in, not many, but we had some people calling in that we didn't put on the air because of the things they were going to say or prepared to say. I'm not much of a censor when it comes to this program, but we do have lines that we will not cross. And I think you understand that and can appreciate that. But I got to thinking a few days ago, about the relationship that exists in this country. It was right after Paris. I thought, what about the relationship that exists in this country between Muslims and non-Muslims? Because when you have a conversation, when I've had conversations on the air, off the air, it's sometimes, in fact, frequently, come to that issue. So I thought, why don't we confront it head on? Why don't we talk about it? And there are people who've told me in the past, this is not the sort of thing you should do, really. There's nothing positive that comes out of this. But I beg to differ. I think that if we don't talk to each other about our issues, real, perceived, um, we won't make any progress. But we have to talk to each other. So that's what I'd like to do. And it goes back to uh, when the issue was whether or not the RCMP should allow a Sikh member to wear a turban instead of the traditional RCMP hat. My point at the time was, That if Sikhs were good enough to fight alongside Canadian soldiers on the front lines in World War II, wearing a turban, then I had no issue with a a Sikh member of the RCMP wearing a turban. I caught a lot of flack for that. Except from a World War II general who called into the program and said exactly the same thing. And then we had a caller who said, ask me about being a Sikh. And my answer to him was, I don't know. You have to ask a Sikh. And that really gave rise to these occasional programs we're doing where we ask people to talk to each other and take on difficult issues. In 2013, Maclean's magazine, one of their headlines was, Canadian anti-Muslim sentiment is rising, disturbing new poll finds. So the question I'm asking you now, and the phone lines are open, at 1-888-225-8255, 1-888-225-8255 is this. How do you view the relationship between Muslim and non-Muslim Canadians? So that's the question I'm asking. How do you view the relationship between Muslim and non-Muslim Canadians? I hope we hear from Muslims and non-Muslims and Canadians from right across the spectrum. How do you view the relationship between Muslim and non-Muslim Canadians? Is it a good relationship? A positive relationship? Is the relationship you have questions about? Both sides of the spectrum, all sides of the spectrum. One is the number to call. Mobin Sheikh joins me. He's a frequent contributor to this program. He's also regularly appeared on CNN and other television networks. He's an international speaker, including the International Law Student Conference in two thousand and four. He was born and raised in Canada. He had jihadi tendencies in his late teens and joined a militant Islamic group who saw the West as the enemy. But after 9-11, Mubin, uh, Mubin traveled to Syria to study Islam for two years and then returned to Canada. And eventually he became an undercover RCMP CSIS agent investigating the Toronto 18 terror group. And he testified against them in court. Mubin Sheikh is studying for his Ph.D. in psychology and he is the co-author of Undercover jihadi Mubin. thank you so much for agreeing to do this you're the only person i asked
1: hey thank you very much for having me
0: is it important that we talk about this and if so what's important about this segment what why is the question important why is the issue important to be talked about in this forum
1: yeah i mean i think uh you know ignorance is our biggest enemy at this stage uh whether it's Uh, discussions on identifying the enemy correctly, whether you want to use terms like radical Islam or Islamist or jihadist or whatever terms we're going to use, there does need to be this conversation so that we have a clear understanding of who and what we're dealing with, because if we don't do that, then we won't even be able to begin coming up with a response and a solution um, that's effective and that does not play into the ISIS narrative.
0: Let me ask you the uh, question about the, the the sort of the core issue that people are dealing with today, and that is the Syrian refugees being brought to Canada, twenty-five thousand at nine hundred a day, until the end of the year. There are concerns about the number. There's concerns about security. There's concerns about the deadline imposed by the prime minister, and it's been suggested that it's a political promise he made during the election campaign, and it really should be slowed down. What do you say?
1: Well, I just find it strange now that we're uh, we're we're asking politicians to backtrack on their prom, on their campaign promises. Look, the it, it's I understand it's a legitimate and reasonable concern that people have about uh, security issues with the refugee uh, mobilization. I'm not going to dismiss that out of hand completely, and there are responses to that. So, for example, um, first and foremost, as the French police themselves affirmed. Uh, the ISIS attackers, they planted this passport, the Syrian passport, in order to sabotage the refugee situation. Because none of the attackers were refugees. None of them were Syrians. Uh, they were French citizens and Belgian citizens. Um, so, so that was number one. Number two, uh, they, ISIS wrote that we will, we will do these attacks to create retaliation against the Muslims and drive um, already marginalized and disenfranchised Muslims into our waiting arms. So those two things right there, the, the fact that you have some in the U.S. who have jumped on this wagon, uh, we're, we're doing exactly what ISIS wanted us to do. So this is a problem. We can't claim that we're opposing ISIS, we're fighting ISIS, we're you know, countering their message, and yet we're just reinforcing their narratives. Uh, furthermore, we don't face the same issues that Greece, Italy, and those other countries face, where you have boats literally coming on shore. Uh, it's very hard to do a, a security check of people who are just getting off a boat. We're not dealing with that. Um, moreover, we don't have that geographic proximity. So, for example, when those some of those people are, 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 are arriving on land, um, yes, of course. I mean, I witnessed ISIS saying that we are going to send um, attackers through the migrant convoys. But it's much easier in, the, in Europe to move between multiple countries uh, with relative ease. I mean, one does not... As opposed to Canada, one does not, you know, just arrive in Canada. It's, it's, it's not that easy, especially if you're a refugee, you're living in a refugee camp or some kind of settlement area, and there are, you know, two, three, four levels at least of checking and back-checking. So, again, we don't have the same conditions um, that give rise to the, the security concerns that others are having. And just the last point, and most importantly, CSIS itself is saying the CSIS director itself is saying, listen, we have robust policies in place. CSIS and the RCMP have both come out supporting the refugee uh, movement to Canada because they know they know better than uh, anyone else what kind of procedures we have in place and what kind of back-checking we've already done. So these are some of the, the reasons that should make us feel a little more confident in, in our practices
0: why do you suppose then that there is still a majority of Canadians who are not comfortable with the schedule and with the number? And I have some concerns, even though it's CSIS and the RCMP have said that the program is robust and everything will be fine. I, I just, I'm not convinced and I haven't heard from the government yet. And we'll hear next Tuesday, but I'm not convinced that there will be short, not shortcuts taken on the security angle. And, and it's been raised on a num, by a number of callers and a number of emailers. Uh, the security process will be completed on the ground in Canada. Um, That causes concerns for people. So what do you say to the person who's listened to you and still says, I'm worried?
1: Right. So um, I think the majority of Canadians uh, just don't know uh, what, uh, what kind of procedures are in place. So first and foremost... Um, there is already a basic level of checking that's done uh, on behalf of the UN uh, High Commission on Refugees. So there is already a pool from which uh, they pre-select people. So, for example, there's one instance where um, uh, you know, they have to be selected by the agency first. So, for example, in Lebanon. In Lebanon, that houses uh, a million refugees, only 10,000 were consider- considered for referral, uh, uh, for resettlement around the world. Ten thousand out of one million. Now, out of that ten thousand, there's going to be a uh, a further check. So, phase two, what happens is uh, the files will land on the desk of a visa officer at a Canadian embassy. So, still not in Canada. Now, there's a second level of scrutiny uh, that they will go through. Once that that uh, meeting takes place, there's an hour-long meeting with the person. Um, you know, they look for signs. They look for you know red flags. Then that file goes to uh, CSIS, RCMP, and Border Services. Uh, persons' travel documents, even their biometrics, are checked against uh, national and international police and security intelligence databases. And that's all done before those people get to Canada. So it's, it's quite robust, in fact. And, uh, I mean, this is the same procedures that we've been using to, you know, to, to, to have refugees come in as it is anyway. Um, you know, the fact is is that uh, refugees, in fact, are not involved in criminal activity uh, beyond, let's say, just the regular Canadian population. So, so that's just some of what what's being done, and it's important for us to have this conversation so that people know that, that these are the steps that are being taken.
0: No, I'm still not. I'm still not convinced. I'm still not comfortable. And, and we will have these conversations, and this is what's important. I'm just speaking as one person. Sure. I'm still not comfortable with the, with the vetting process because I don't understand. I mean, you've explained it, and you know a great deal about what's going on. You're the international security expert as well. So you understand what the process is. I'm still not satisfied with the explanations I've received from the government, and maybe there's a, just a significant degree of cynicism when it comes to politicians. But I, when we come back, I want to get into the issue of the relationship between Muslims and non-Muslims in Canada, because that's the fundamental issue that we're that we're dealing with here. Uh, Mubin shake, my guest, one 225 8255 is the number for you to call anywhere in Canada. one 225 8255 And the question is, the question that we're asking um, is this how do you view the relationship between Muslim and non-Muslim Canadians? One triple eight two two five eight two five five move and shake, and you and me when we come back. Emails to roy at roygreenshow dot com, and you can follow me on Twitter at the Roy Greenshow, and you can tweet me, and I'll read them on the air. On our question that we're asking, how do you view the relationship between Muslim and non-Muslim Canadians? First three tweets from Kevin on one of my jobs. I work with Muslims. We're all armed. I have no problem. With that, David writes, uh, Mostly positive. My old boss is a Muslim and my journeyman. He hates radicalism. And Robert, in some areas, very strained and for some embarrassed. I believe some Muslims are shocked and fearful of retaliation. At the Roy Green Show is the uh, Twitter address. And um, I'll read your tweets and your emails as I go along. Moving Shaikh is my guest. And um, we we'll get into your calls in a, in a couple of minutes' time. Mubin, the uh, the story that I was quoting from Maclean's magazine, two thousand and thirteen, it starts with these words: "Canadian anti-Muslim sentiment is rising." So, is there a is there a disconnect? Is there a growing disconnect between Muslim and non-Muslim Canadians, not on a personal one-on-one basis, but in a, in a greater societal sense?
1: Well, I mean, of course there is. I mean, and it's a natural reaction to what's uh, what we've been seeing in. The, the so-called Muslim world for you know for so many years. When you have a group like ISIS that goes out of its way to depict itself as the only true Islamic manifestation, um, you know I I don't blame people at all whatsoever. Especially those that are you know listening to Fox News every day, uh, you know of course they're going to think every Muslim is a threat. Uh, but the reality is of course very different. And even in Canada we've had some uh, minor incidences, and they're minor incidents. But, you know, the media wants to play up um, the discontent in among the communities. You know, for them, it's all about conflict. It's all about what's controversial, and they push that. So for the 10 articles that talk about the mosque that was burned in Peterborough, only one will talk about how the community in Peterborough, Jews, Christians, came together. Uh, they crowdsourced, uh, you know, donations for the mosque, and the mosque got the donations, you know, $80,000 plus within two days. Of the attacks to, to, you know, to repair the facility. There was a, a Hindu temple, for God's sake, a Hindu temple, where the priest had gone, the Hindu priest had gone for a uh, Paris rally, and somebody broke the windows of the Hindu temple. So, of course, you heard about that, but you didn't hear about it was a Muslim community that raised the money to fix the windows. Or the case of the two women accosted on the TTC. Um, and of course, he didn't hear that it was a passenger on the on the train that pushed the yellow strip, uh, you know, uh, tripping the emergency alarm, uh, which brought this train to a stop. How do these how do
0: these how do these situations resonate within the Muslim community? Because they don't reflect the the views or the attitudes of the vast majority of Canadians. If I saw a Muslim woman with children being assaulted, I'd be the first guy in there. Yeah. And, and so, so how does that resonate? Do, is it seen as a, as a, as an example of an extremist reaction, or is there concern that this is mainstream reaction?
1: Well, I mean, it is an extremist reaction. I mean, there's a very you know small number that do that, and in fact, you know, the words that we're using to describe anti-Muslim retaliation, is the exact same thing that we're saying with when it comes to Muslim extremists. It's a small number that are doing these things. The vast majority of us stand united. And that's the message that needs to be reinforced. And people will not put up with it. I know that. I'm confident of that. It's, it's understandable that immediately after a horrible attack like Paris, you're going to get this sort of response by, you know, extremist idiots. But the, the majority of people will, will not stand for it. I'm right. extremely confident of that. I've,
0: I've got to take a break. I'm wondering whether the whether it's all post-Paris or whether this has been whatever the disconnect is that McLean's wrote about in 2013 in that poll, whether it's been growing, festering, whether it exists whether it's festering we're certainly going to talk about it and when we come back we will start with your phone calls and move and shake will stay with us and um, and I'm going to be involving myself as well so the question again is how do you view the relationship between muslim and non-muslim canadians want to hear from muslims non-muslims eight two five five 8255 is the number to call you'll find my webpage roygreenshow.com you can uh, add your comments next to mine you can also listen back or download any segment from this show and the podcast, RoyGreenShow.com, including this hour with Move and Sheik, as we uh, ask you the question about the relationship between Muslims and non-Muslims in Canada. How do you view the relationship between Muslim and non-Muslim Canadians? 888 225 Phone lines are extremely busy. Get to the calls right now, and I'll ask you to, as briefly as possible, make your case, ask your question. We'll start with Mark in London, Ontario. Mark, go ahead, please.
2: Yes, Roy, I'd say right now, for me, the relationship is strained. Obviously, there are people that all of us have that we interact with that are Muslim that are great, fantastic people. <laughs> I heard your previous callers say, "Don't worry about people from Syria." There's all sorts of bad characters among us in Paris and Belgium, and of course, we know they're here in
0: so, Mark. What's the question? What's the point you want to make?
2: Yeah, the point that I want to make is, you know, what there's already a small minority. And if they were just doing little things, it would be different. But these people are committing murders and atrocities. So even though it's a small... You're
0: talking about Paris, you're talking about ISIS, right? Yeah. Is that what you're talking talking about? about?
2: Well, you know what? I live in London, and there were some people radicalized right here, so... That's
0: right. They were involved in that attack on the the gas plant in the Sahara Desert, the Algerian. uh, Mubin, Mark's point.
2: Yeah, so my
0: point... Just hold on, Mark. Let me have Mubin talk to you.
2: Yeah, yeah, my point is...
0: That, Mark, um, Mark, hold on.
2: Okay.
0: Go ahead, Mubin. I think
2: what he's what he's trying to say is
1: that, look, I mean, most of our interactions with Muslims are, are overwhelmingly positive, uh, yes. but people are nervous. They don't know which one is the, is the nut job. Uh, and what I encourage people to do is, you know what, talk to your Muslim friends and family, and if you see someone in a hijab or a niqab, go and talk to them, and, and you'll see exactly what kind of person they are.
0: That's the sound advice. That's the, I mean, that's the advice I gave people about Sikhs when I was asked about Sikhs. Don't ask me. Ask a Sikh. But there are concerns, and uh, this is all about talking about our our relationship and seeing what we can do about the relationship if there is a problem. Um, Mark in Vancouver on the Green Show. Go ahead, Mark.
3: Hey, Roy. You know, I think it's hard to uh, talk about this and, and not sound like a racist if you're non-Muslim. I mean, the reaction that we're getting from the West here... I mean, obviously, it's going to be very heated when you see what happened in Paris and you look at Europe with the mass migration that's taking place there. Uh, to get to my point, I guess, I think we have to monitor what type of, of Muslim Islam is being preached in the mosques here in Canada. And I know for a fact the majority of the Islam that's being taught in our mosques in Canada is Wahhabist uh, soon. And hope, is stop, trend, stop, Mark. Mark, stop, Mark. Strength.
0: Mark, stop right there. Don't go away. Stop right there. Uh, move and go ahead.
1: Yeah, no. He makes a good point. Of course, uh, you know there there are uh, there is ideology. There is a particular kind of interpretation that does lend itself to to making it easier for people to start seeing the West as the enemy and to become the enemy themselves. And you know it is it is actually untrue that the mosques is where radicalization is occurring because I tell you a lot of mosques think that they're under surveillance or that there are spies in the mosque, and that's partly true. Um, and, and they're not going to say anything overtly you know, uh, criminal or anything that's going to uh, put the authorities on their case. So uh, good point about ideology, and it is important for us to understand yeah, what kind of Islamic interpretations do you subscribe to? Absolutely. Is
0: there Mubin, Is there underlying messaging that takes place? If they're not going to be saying things in the open because they're under surveillance or feel they're under surveillance, the mosque, the imams, is there an underlying messaging taking place? In, uh, the, the question I was going to ask, and I'll fit this right in, are there people in Canada happy about Paris, happy about Brussels, and consider this payback for the West and the attacks on Muslims in the Middle East? When you were a young man, I was reading your biography, I've read it a few times, When you were a young man, you had jihadi anger. um, And 9-11, you thought at one point, was payback for what the West had done um, before you went to Syria, studied Islam for two years, and changed your views. So are there people, am I correct about that? And are there people in this country who are looking at what happened in Paris and are saying the West is getting what it deserves?
1: You know, I I gave a talk on 9-11 at a church. Uh, and I said this exact same thing when I heard the attacks. My first thing was the West got what, co- what they got coming to them. And a woman, in, after the talk, came up to me and says, you know what, dear, my husband said the same thing. Uh, so there, there are going to be people who, who believe that. But, uh, you know, those are the kind of people that we need to keep an eye on, of course.
0: Okay. So that message, is that message being um, pushed? Is that message being promoted? Um, not
1: at all. Not at all. That is a very, very difficult to get people to actually say that. Uh, you know, for us to hear that, there are uh, uh, there are going to be people who believe that, but 100%. I can tell you, there's not a single
3: mosque that's saying that.
0: Mark, final thought from
3: you. Well, yeah, you know, I just think, Roy, when you look when you look what's happening to Europe right now, I think the problem people are having here in Canada, why we're tense, is because the Islamic extreme part of it, I mean, it's completely incompatible with our value system over here. And I think, how can you have a harmonious, harmonious culture if you don't share a same sort of a value uh, structure, right?
0: All right, Mark, thank you for that. What about that movement, sharing value structures, sharing a history, sharing a cultural identity?
1: Well, I think what we need to ha- share is universal values of humanity. Um, And that's an excellent point. I mean, look, if you don't believe that, you know, uh, women are equal with men, if you don't believe that, you know, people should be allowed to believe as they will, not believe as they will, leave your religion if they want to without being killed, I I think that's a pretty basic threshold that we
0: can agree on. Summer in Toronto. Summer, go ahead, please.
2: Yes, I just want to say, uh, first of all, I'm Muslim, and uh, we are taught in the Qur'an and our Islamic teachings and in the mosques to love all people of all faiths, regardless of what they believe in. Um, And we are completely against all this Wahhabi ideology and everything ISIS is doing. They've attacked our own people. We have a very large family. We just recently lost two of our family members uh, in Lebanon. And uh, that was from ISIS, of course, and we're completely against all that stuff. And ISIS represents such a small minority compared to all Muslims.
0: Do you find, let me get back to the relationship aspect of Muslims and non-Muslims in in Canada. Do you find that the relationship that uh, non-Muslims have with you, uh, whether they know you well, whether they know you a little, or whether they're just meeting you, do you find that there's any strain in that relationship developing, or is it something that you you're, you're comfortable with? Do you think people are, are generally easy to get along with, understand um, that we're all in the same country, or is there strain in relationships?
2: I mean, I work with uh, I'm the only Muslim where I work, and I work with a lot of people. And ever since the attack in the um, the Parliament Building in Ottawa, uh, ever since that happened, I, I've been noticing some people kind of changing the way they talk to me, the way they approach me, and you get these looks sometimes. Uh, But then you have to educate them, and I I have spoken to them. They've actually approached me, and I've spoken, I've educated them, and now they know the difference. It's all a matter of actually looking to understand the difference between the two ideologies.
0: All right. Thank you very much for the call, Samar.
2: No problem.
0: Thank you. I'm just looking at a tweet here, Mubin, from uh, Serena. She writes, What are the Muslims doing for the rest of us to assuage our fears and anger at the acts of Islamic terrorism? She writes, So far, nothing. And that's reaction to Paris, and that's reaction to Brussels, and that's reaction to Mali. I don't know what you're supposed to do, but there's the question. How do you interpret that tweet?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, this is this is consistent with the narrative that's being pushed, that Muslims aren't condemning extremism enough. Muslims aren't speaking out enough. And, and again, that's just not true. I mean, people who suggest that are just not listening, it is what's up. Um, I mean, widespread condemnation, there's, you know, uh, viral videos of individual French citizens, there was a recent one uh, just yesterday, I mean, it's already gone, you know, over 100,000 views, a French guy who's saying, you know what, this is our problem, we need to deal with it, don't consider yourself a turncoat if you give up intelligence, Uh, you know, if you give up information to the intelligence agencies if you know something is amiss. And this is something that was not uh, reiterated enough in the previous government, that when every time they they quoted the case of the Toronto 18 and the Via Rail plot, those were both plots uh, interdicted because of Muslim help. Uh, So the public needs to know a little bit more that, listen, Muslims are, I can tell you that I've had people approach me to say, hey, you know what? I want to work for CSIS. How can I do that? And this is prompted because of attacks in Paris and elsewhere. So this is why I maintain this line of, you cannot isolate marginalize the communities otherwise you will compromise your human intelligence and that's what you need to interdict plots
0: and the Isis killers in Paris weren't checking to see whether somebody was Muslim non-muslim they didn't care whether somebody was Jewish or Sikh or Hindu they didn't care if they were Buddhist they just killed everybody
1: absolutely there were you know six Muslims that were killed at least uh, probably Muslims that you know they didn't consider Muslim enough you know two women, um, you know, two brothers now left without their sister. So, I mean, these they are equal opportunity killers. They have killed more Muslims than they have non-Muslims. Um, it's just equal opportunity hate.
0: We're going to come back with Mubin Sheikh on The Roy Green Show with your calls at 1 888 225 8255. We'll take this break first. Now, find us on Facebook, The Roy Green Show page. Like us there. Mubin Sheikh is my guest. Undercover Jihadi is his book, and we're talking about the relationship between Muslims and non-Muslims in Canada. Uh, Mubin, I was looking for an email that I was received overnight, but I'm having a terrible time with emails, just stuff disappearing. But it was from a, a Muslim gentleman in Toronto, and he wrote essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, I have a wife and two kids, I work uh, five days a week, sometimes six days a week, my kids go to school, they're doing well, I pay my taxes, I love Canada, what else do you want from me?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there was...
0: I mean, that's pretty uh, solid, that's a pretty solid email.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a, you know, just on the lighthearted side, there was one kid who said, you know, he goes, uh, I can't even get a girl to text me back, you want me to counter ISIS? Uh, You know, the thing is, is that you have mainstream media outlets that are pumping out the ISIS propaganda on their behalf. I mean, how is, uh, even never mind just the Muslim community, how does the rest of the community counter the message of ISIS when news channels are pumping out fear Um, 24-7? You know, we're, we're becoming our own worst enemies, and this is why I keep reinforcing the point You know, the less we reinforce the ISIS narrative, the more we'll be able to counter them. The more we we say exactly what ISIS wants us to say, hate on all Muslims, fear all refugees, then we're just doing the work for them.
0: Louise in Calgary. Go ahead, Louise.
4: Oh, hi. I'm calling to uh, say that ignorance breeds fear. And until we educate ourselves on the Muslim faith and on the Quran. We're going to make judgments on what we see and what we see is women being covered from head to toe following their husbands three steps behind them and we're seeing everything that's being projected on isis and people are making judgments on that so for people to get over this fear and to really understand what muslim faith is about they need to get educated and to see that it actually is based on peace um so until that happens i think you're going to have a lot of fear
0: All right, Louise. Thank you. Thanks. Um, Fair point. Good point. I'm trying to think of what I was wanted to ask you as soon as we started talking. Educating ourselves about about ourselves—that's it. Educating ourselves about each other. Another point that's brought up on a regular basis. I want to ask you about. You just came back from Europe. You spent a fair bit of time there, right?
1: Yeah, I mean the last time we were—the last time I was in Greece, actually on the island of Crete, where uh, you know I was just for a NATO uh, a NATO conference on, of course, uh, the migrant convoys and refugees. Uh, then I was in the UK, so I, I've I've been very involved on this topic,
0: Mubin. What do you make then of uh, we keep we hear about no-go zones in cities where? The police can't go, and that's been talked about in Brussels, where there's the lockdown now. So that becomes part of the narrative. People ask questions. It happened yesterday. Well, what about the no-go zones? What about the no-go zones? What's that about?
1: Yeah, again, this is this is a problem with listening to Fox News. Uh, you know, they 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 put out. Remember that one thing that they were saying? You know, Birmingham is like you know 80% Muslim, and it's all you know no-go zones. And I mean, that's completely false. But in Belgium, I mean, it is it is a uh, if you want to call it for lack of a better term,
0: a no-go zone. There's the police commander yeah. the police commander in Brussels said that?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like there are some places where uh, you know there's uh, there's such discontent, uh, they're they're so plugged out of the society in which they live that yeah, even for pol- even even for police, their 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 vehicles will be pelted with stones, uh, things like that. So I mean, it is a problem there, and you can see what's coming out of that.
0: I mean, so so. What do what do we make of that? What do we make of the of the no go zones?
1: Well, I mean, you know, you have tens of millions of Muslims living in Europe. Uh, you have very small pockets uh, that would qualify as no go zones. Uh, I guess it would be equivalent to you know East LA, right, when cops couldn't go into certain gang gangbanger neighborhoods. Uh, same same kind of same kind of dynamic.
0: Okay, Wayne is in Mississauga, calling the Roy Green Show. Wayne, go ahead, please.
3: Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have a question. Is the Arabic Koran uh, full of violence? Did Muhammad preach that it's the, the obligation of Muslims to commit Wayne, violence? When we're
0: talking about the relationship between Muslims and non-Muslims in Canada.
3: Well, this is my concern, because we are sort of being fed this uh, uh, story that there's violence in the Quran, So that affects the relationship.
0: Yeah, hey, Ruben, what about that?
3: Well, I keep hearing that all this violence comes from the Qur'an.
0: Okay, hold on, Wayne. What do you say to that, movement?
1: Yep, that's a fair point, very fair point. Um, and uh, absolutely, there are verses in the Qur'an that talk about fighting, um, and they are in, in the response that we give is that, yeah, they, they appear in a particular context. Very quickly, uh, chapter 9, verse 5. Uh, this is a, one of the most often quoted verses to say, see, the Qur'an says, go and kill the non-believers. But in fact, I encourage people, just like as the scholar in Syria taught me, uh, don't begin reading chapters from verse 5. Start from verse 1, because you'll see that the verse talks about those who broke the covenant, the peace treaty that you had, and continue to fight against the people. So if you look at the verse right before that, chapter 9, verse 4, it says this does not apply to those people who did not break the treaty and are not fighting you. So it really does come down to a question of context, um, and and that's, really, that's really it.
0: All right, Wayne, thank you very much. There's certainly uh, also scriptures in the Bible that uh, are challenging. I'm, I'm trying to get this computer to work. Kenneth just sent me a, um, a tweet. He writes, uh, Are there underlying messages when the Christian choir sings the Psalms of David? Uh, listen to what I heard. He wrote, I was at service this morning. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth, your possession. So if we go to scriptures and we use the scriptures as a basis of our relationship with one another, uh, and we use selective scripture uh, in the relationship or to form the basis of our relationship, we can run into difficulties and will. Hussein, uh, I don't know where you are. Hussein, go ahead, please.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to speak about the caller. She's called in about uh, three callers ago. She was saying uh, how we don't condemn enough, we have condemned, but yet we still receive a backlash. And I don't think we need to apologize. I think that's actually quite insulting to us. White white folk don't need to continue to apologize for the uh, slavery, for KKK. We don't need to apologize for people that are not, you know, reflective of our faith. We do obviously sympathize with all the people that have died, but asking us to apologize, that's just a lot of crap.
0: Okay, I have a few seconds, just a couple of seconds. How would you describe your relationship with non-Muslims in Canada?
4: Well, for the most part, everyone... My interaction has been uh, very positive. There are cowards that are taking things out of action. Like, for example, the incident that occurred on Monday, that was actually with the mother going to school. That was actually my aunt. So it hit close to home. But for the most part, it's been quite positive.
0: Could you send me an email? Sorry? Send me an email, please. I want to get in touch with you. Sure. About what happened to your aunt. It's roy at roygreenshow.com. Thanks a lot, Hussein. Mubin, we're out of time, but thank you for joining us. It's, um, I think this is one of the necessary things we do. We we, we we start dialogue, we take a question, we build on it, and we have people talking to one another. And at the end of the day, it's something positive hopefully will come out of it.
1: I, I totally agree. And Roy, I really thank you for giving me the platform to do that. I hope that you know, I like to have direct conversations. No beating around the bush. Just let's get yep. straight to the point. Uh, united we stand, people. That's that's the message we have to internalize. United we stand. Thank you, Mubin. Most welcome,
0: Mubin Sheikh, the uh, co-author of Undercover Jihadi. We're back after this.